Hello? Hello and welcome to the Disney Vault Cast, the show that examines every single movie in the Disney Vault. This week, we gotta wrap things up by midnight because we're talking about the 1950 film Cinderella. A dream is a wish your heart makes when you're fast to see. In dreams, you will lose your heartache. Whatever you wish for, you keep. I am your host, who makes all the animals living in my home do my chores for me, Aiden Simons. And who is here with me this week? It's me. It's Abby Hansen. Fellow. Well, I don't know. I feel like I've talked about working at Disney before, but I also don't know if I should really talk about it that much. But, you know, fellow (laughs) Disney, well, former Disney employee, but fellow Disney employee, because it never leaves you. It doesn't. It doesn't leave you. (laughs) I know. I am very excited. Yes, as we're talking about Cinderella, you you are very excited to talk about this movie. And I'm excited to talk about it, too, because it's the first um, movie from the Walt Disney era of Disney animation, which obviously, I mean, is the foundation of all this. And probably one of Disney's most iconic films and most important movie, like a movie that basically saved the animation studio. I know you talk about how Cinderella is your favorite princess, but like, (laughs) why did you pick Cinderella to talk about? Um, Well, yes, obviously uh, she is my favorite princess. And I think anyone who knows me could tell you that. Um, But I think mostly one, I just love the movie, and two, I think she's the princess that I kind of, like, identify with the most as far as, like, who she kind of is as a person, just kind of being so kind and such a dreamer and um, hardworking, like, it just kind of resonates with me in a way, and so I think she's always been one that I kind of identify with, and then again, like, just the beauty of the film itself, just, like, wrapped in one, it's, like, the best. So going off that, what exactly is your history with Cinderella? How did you first discover this film and princess? It's really funny because I'm like trying to pinpoint an exact moment that I can remember like loving Cinderella or like watching the film, but I don't have one specifically. Like there's pictures of me like younger at Disney in like Snow White. And I always look at it and I'm like, why did you not put me in like Cinderella? Like Cinderella's my favorite. And you're blonde um, too. And I'm blonde. Come on. But um yeah, I, I can't pinpoint a specific memory, but I just know that I've always loved it. And part of it too could be like, I've always kind of been into fashion. Like I'm mm-hmm. and nowhere near like a trendsetter or like, you know, those things. But I do really love fashion and clothes in, in that kind of industry. And I think maybe part of that draw was like, obviously her iconic dress, just that whole thing. And then um, obviously her shoes. I do have a bit of a, a love for shoes. So I think kind of all of that is what I can resonate and remember. Like, I, it's weird. I can't pinpoint a specific memory, but like all of that. And then I just kind of have like random Cinderella things around my room. And um, let's be real, I may or may not have like bounded for our DCP graduation. <laughs> Cinderella. Oh my God. <laughs> no, at all. Was that intentional? No one will ever know. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. Um, 
I think that's kind of like my history with it. I've just kind of always loved her. And obviously at the parks, you know, she's like the first one that I go to take pictures with. So mm-hmm. yeah, if that made any sense at all, it's, 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 fun. it's a tricky history. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, it's a weird question to ask because it's a movie that's existed far longer than we've been around. Like it came yeah. out in 1950 and we were both born in the nineties. So like, <laughs> you know, it's just, it's one of those films that's literally always been around, been a, fixture since we were born and no I mean same thing like I just we didn't have like a ton of Disney DVDs but we had like a good amount but one of them was definitely Cinderella and it's just one of those yeah it's one of those Disney movies that just everyone knows I mean obviously Disney movies are like pretty foundational for any kid but I feel like especially Cinderella is kind of always a fixture and it's funny like you talk about the fashion because I feel like she kind of did set the template for in terms of like Disney princess fashion because Snow White, she's just wearing her like, it is kind of a formal dress, but it's not like anything spectacular. But Cinderella, you had this like big, like originally white, then blue ball gown. That's just like kind of set the template for the other Disney princesses because they all have the same, more or less the same like big bellowy ball gown that they wear when they're being all formal and fancy. Yeah, for sure. Now that we have gone into all that, our personal histories with Cinderella, time to go into the history of the film itself. And like many a Disney movie, it is based off a fairy tale from very, very long ago. Um, Cinderella, probably one of the most iconic, like it's one of the, it's both an iconic fairy tale and also an iconic story trope, like the rags to riches story, getting swept off from humble even abusive beginnings to like a glamorous lifestyle. And Cinderella has like a concept kind of dates back to early, early times. And the early stone variant that I could find is a version of a Greek slave girl meeting the king of Egypt. So, you know, we've got the seeds, obviously nothing like the fairy tale that most people are familiar with, but kind of a similar template. Um, But the most widely known version to the English speaking world and the version that this movie is mostly based off of was first published in French by Charles Perrault. I should have looked how to pronounce that. I do this every single time. I never look up how to pronounce any of these names. Okay. The Brothers Grimm did publish their own version, like most fairy tales, but the Charles Perrault version is the version that would become the basis of the Disney version. But Walt Disney had the inspiration to make a Cinderella story way back in the 1920s before he even made a feature film and who was still exclusively making shorts he was making a cartoon based off of it and some story elements from this version include cinderella having mice who in this version were white and birds as friends so clearly some ideas being recycled and they were using visual gags to kind of pad out the short which obviously are also in the original version which has a lot of gags involving the mice and the cat however they found it really complicated to condense this story into a short like only of a few minutes so the project did stall but some people in the studio thought about making it a feature film and they did make a 14 page treatment by al perkins in 1938 but that version as we are aware never went anywhere but a second version was written two years later in 1941 by dana 
Kofi and Bianca Majoli, who, fun fact, is the first woman to be a storyboard artist for Walt Disney Productions. And mm-hmm. I know Disney Studio is definitely famous for not being the most inclusive place, but <laughs> sometimes someone breaks through. And uh, something I found really interesting about this version is that a plot point involved the stepmother actually locking Cinderella in a dungeon instead of locking her in her attic room. And then the prince's aide coming to help her. Yeah. So definitely much more of an action focused. Um, resolution and climax as opposed to the version we got which is very simple and understated and just like sweet and simple yeah. and production commenced for the film in 1943 but did halt in 1945 because of a little thing called world war ii that dominated as its name indicates <laughs> the world and yeah. the walt disney animation studio was going through a particularly rough period in the 1940s uh following the release of snow white because most of their films actually were not successful at the box office films like pinocchio fantasia bambi obviously nowadays they are considered classics and some of the best films ever made but when they came out they like really tanked hard at the box office which actually put the studio in pretty risky territory. And another thing, as I said, was World War II put a major hamper on the studio's output. Not only did they house military personnel at the studios, many animators were serving in the armed forces because, again, this was a major conflict that the U.S. was involved in. And they no longer had foreign markets to release films in, so very limited box office revenue potential. And because of this, the studio began to make package films, which if you don't know what that is, it's basically a bunch of short films just kind of stitched together with a loose narrative structure. Films like this include Melody Time, Fun and Fancy Free. So more iconic shorts have come out of those films, but not necessarily some of the most well-remembered films. They're basically just a quick cash grab to keep the studio afloat in this time. Though the studio was working on full-length films like Peter Pan, Alice in Wonderland, and Lady and the Tramp, they were all put on hold because of this. And thankfully, the package films were a success moderately for the studio. Um, by the late 1940s, the studio's debt did decrease from around $4 million to $3 million, And the studio heads decided that returning to full feature production would be a more sound economic decision that would allow the company to generate more profits and they resumed production on Alice in Wonderland and Peter Pan as well as Cinderella. While Walt Disney was not really sure about how Alice in Wonderland and Peter Pan were progressing, he realized that Cinderella shared a lot in common with Snow White. They're both fairy tales, romantic fairy tales, musicals, and he decided to greenlight that project for production, though they did ultimately resume Alice in Wonderland as well. And they had a little competition to see which one could progress further, though Cinderella did pull ahead and it was fast-tracked for release. And like most projects from the studio in this time, there was not a singular director heading the feature. Ben Sharpstein was the supervising producer who worked on productions like Snow White, Pinocchio, Bambi, all in a supervising role. And sequence directors included Hamilton, Lusk, Wilfred Jackson, and Clyde Geronimi. And both Lusk and Jackson were vets from the studio who were sequence directors on numerous films. And Jackson even directed on Snow White. So definitely a long history of the studio and a good fit for this film. And Walt Disney was notably less involved for this feature than he was for prior feature-length projects, starting in like the 1940s as we all know Walt Disney was always looking at the next big thing he was not very concerned for the present always looking at the future 
and 1940s, he was working on Treasure Island, his first live action feature. And his lifelong love of trains was also noted as a preoccupation for him. I just, the fact that Walt Disney is obsessed with trains is always one of my favorite things about him. Well, I love it. It makes sense why there's a train that goes around the entire park. <laughs> but I was watching this video on just Star Wars land it's making and Disneyland is just full of train energy. I love it. Like you've got Big Thunder Mountain, the Disneyland train, Casey Jr. train, there was the Nature's Wonderland train. I guess I didn't really ever think of it like that, but that's totally true. (laughs) So while he wasn't heavily involved with this project, the production team did mail various elements of the film for him to review, though he wasn't always responsive. So they were more or less working without his guidance, though it wasn't uncommon for him to give his input well after the fact, which (laughs) basically meant the team had to redo everything they worked on, which definitely does not sound like the ideal situation, especially for an animated film, which are notoriously hard to make and very expensive. There was one instance of Luce having to redo the entire climax of the film after Walt Disney viewed a screening of it. So I can only imagine how uh, demoralizing that must be to have to just basically restart this whole thing. Yeah. it's, It's something that's definitely even happening today in animation. I mean, Disney animated films famously go through numerous changes in production. They're basically like being made on the fly. Yeah. One of the most common things Disney did for its animated features was to use live actors as references to kind of capture and recreate movements of the characters. But they did something a little different for this production, kind of as a money-saving tactic. They filmed live actors on stages miming to the film's dialogue and it was kind of used as a way to check the film's plot and pacing before they actually commenced animation just so they don't animate something realize oh this isn't really working and then having to redo that whole sequence and wasting all that money because again animation is it's like really interesting because Disney films from that era are so revered and well regarded nowadays but at this point, like they were like kind of a studio on the brink of extinction, which has happened quite a few times in its history, as we've discussed throughout this whole thing. But they were really just kind of like scrambling, like they were really desperately hoping this would be the thing to save them. Right. I was going to say it's like trying to find just the next thing that'll like catch and like keep them going a little bit. Yeah. Like, I yeah. mean, it's very, very kind of similar in a way to The Little Mermaid, which we did is that prior to that Disney animation studio was like struggling hard and only like I mean it was only like 30 ish years after Cinderella released that they produced Little Mermaid but that was like the studio on its last legs after a bunch of flops I mean and then the 2000s were the most recent dark time for Disney and when you've been around as long as Disney has it's natural that you're going to go through your ups and downs yeah yeah we'll see how this current climate will impact the studio. I mean, I think Ryan Last Dragon was a hit. I mean, as much of a hit as you can be I in current times. I, need I, I spent 30 bucks to watch it. I should. I should just do it. I liked it. I really wish I saw it on the big screen, but that's a different conversation. Yeah. Yep. Music for the film was composed by one Oliver Wallace, um, though he didn't work in the score until animation already started and ready for inking, which was kind of a departure from Disney's prior films. They usually did the Mickey Mousing technique, which is kind of a famous technique where you use music to synchronize with the animation. So it kind of like deliberately made for a specific sequence of animation. And 
by doing this process, it kind of made it similar to scoring a live action film. And I actually think the score of the soundtrack, like the musical score is actually like, was really good. I really like honed in and listened to it this time. And I feel like obviously like, you know, scores sometimes aren't the most well-remembered part of a movie, but I really appreciated this film score. Obviously the, the songs are great too, but the score I really noticed this time around really like popped out to me. Yeah, it's a beautiful score. Songs for the film are written by the trio of Mac David, Al Hoffman, and Jerry Livingston, who are from the Tin Pan Alley Publishing Group, which was actually the first time composers were hired outside of the Disney bubble to write songs. Usually it's kind of like you come from the studio to write films. And one such case was story artist Larry Morey, who had written songs for the movie in 1946, though none of his songs were ultimately used. Songs that were written in this time included Cinderella having a few songs, including seeing songs while being overworked, which she kind of gets in the movie, but, you know, not quite. I'm assuming this would have been more directly about how overworked she is um, while dressing up the mice and while fantasizing about her mother's dress, which I would find interesting because you don't really get Cinderella's backstory all that much in this film. I know they touch on it at the beginning, but we don't really get her personal history which i i feel like i don't know how it would have affected the pacing of the film but i feel like that would have been kind of interesting to get more context and history that like her upbringing before lady tremaine ruined her life yeah i was gonna say i totally agree i think it'd be so interesting to kind of see that narrative and also like make more sense as to why then like destroying her dress Mm-hmm. It's so devastating I mean obviously we know it's devastating because her mom passed away but like more of the meaning behind the dress and like how much of an impact it would have made so curious but, I'm interesting yeah for sure because yeah the dress I mean obviously yes is one of the most foundational parts of the story and like is kind of her turning point but yeah we don't really get much of her connection to the dress and her mom itself. And that's, I mean, we're going to touch about the live action remake at the end of this, but that's kind of one of the things I like that it did is that it kind of did go into her history and backstory and like what her life was like both before her mom died and her dad died and her dad remarried. Yeah. The Prince would have also gotten his own song, which I mean, he sings once in the film with Cinderella, but I mean, obviously the Prince isn't a major character in this movie so it would have been interesting I don't know if that meant he would have had a more significant role in the story but it would be interesting to see if that would have led to like any sort of development from the character who is like pretty famously an underdeveloped character yeah I'd be so curious to like know or hear or slash see what it would even be about based on Mm -hmm. his like time in the film I'm going to look this up quick. They had um, song titles on the history Ooh. page, but I never, I didn't actually write them because I didn't want to write too much in this outline. Yeah. Um, okay. So sing a little, dream a little was Cinderella's song about being overworked. The mouse song is clearly the song about the mice <laughs> and the dress my mother wore as about her dress. And then the prince would sing the face that I see in the night. Um, maybe it's about him meeting Cinderella when she runs away. Maybe he gets like a little emotional song after she leaves the ball. Totally. I could totally see it. Cinderella also never put, I forgot to write that she wrote a song called I Lost My Heart at the Ball. The last unused song was going to be called Dancing on a Cloud, which was going to recycle an unused fantasy sequence from Snow White, which I mean, Disney animation pretty famously back then reuses animation sequences. But 
ultimately none of these songs did get used and the soundtrack was reworked completely and so we have a total of six songs in the film not gonna list them all you'll know them they're they're iconic iconic uh, something interesting I found while doing research was that this film soundtrack also marked the beginning of what was then called the Walt Disney Music Company, but exists today as Disney Music Group, which includes Walt Disney Records, which releases all the film soundtracks, but also Hollywood Records that once released music by stars like Hilary Duff, Miley Cyrus, Selena Gomez. So Cinderella basically led to Miley Cyrus's music career. Thank you, Cinderella, for paving the way. And another little interesting fact is that the soundtrack also contained one of the first uses of multi-track vocals in the song Sing Sweet Nightingale when she sings the different harmonies. That's all Eileen Woods' vocals. So it all layered on top of each other, which I like didn't really pay that much attention earlier. But now like going into the film, knowing that fact, like it was actually really cool to listen in and like being aware of that fact and how they yeah. I mean it sounds that song is really great and also probably the least remembered song from the movie. Mm-hmm. I feel like this might be a silly question, but like, was that kind of ahead of its time for Disney to have like the multi-track recording for that? Or is that, was that pretty like common? I think Although so. It's like one of the first ones, but it sounds like that was pretty advanced for that time. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I think it was pretty ahead of its time. So yeah, basically I'm um, just to explain if, if anyone listening does not know what this is basically you have your main vocals and the singer i mean obviously harmonies they sing above the melody and below the melody and so it creates this harmony but it's all just the same person i mean it's used pretty widely today i mean i feel like i mean one of the more famous people who does it is ariana grande who does it a lot in her songs and what i could gather is probably like yeah it seems like one of the first especially in a disney film definitely the first use because obviously prior disney movies were musicals like snow white and pinocchio but I feel like this is kind of the first movie that really has just like dedicated musical sequences outside of things like, you know, I mean, obviously we get things like hi-ho and all that, but it's like really like kind of just transports away from the setting of the film and kind of goes to its own little world in that sequence. And I think that kind of adds this like otherworldly feel to it. Speaking of the song from the movie, the voice cast of this film includes Eileen Woods as Cinderella, and prior to this was known for her ABC radio show, The Eileen Woods Show, IBC, now owned by Disney, so it all all comes together, and that show included significant portions of her singing, and she basically just sang on demo recordings of the songs, which immediately got her an interview with Disney, and after that interview, she was offered the role on the spot. She was named a Disney legend in 2003 for her performance. And I think it's a really good performance. I feel like she's good at crying. Yes. She's like cry quite a bit. (laughs) Yeah. Actress Helen Stanley was used as a live action reference for Cinderella, which, as I said, was a common occurrence at the time where they basically based the movements of the character on a real life person. And she later was the reference for both Princess Aurora and Anita Radcliffe from 101 Dalmatian. I feel like too, if I can just interject, like with Eileen Woods, like after watching the film again, 
she has such a different register i feel than like most of the princesses in the past or even now in the present like mm-hmm. it's not kind of like the typical higher pitch like kind of nasally princess voice that some people might like assume she has like she yeah. just has it's almost like very uh she's like lower register and it's like calming she kind of has a calming voice so i think even when she sings too it's definitely kind of like the same sound and same like intonation so i think that is kind of interesting after watching it again you're like oh she does kind of have a very different sound to her as a princess non-stereotypical i guess i don't know (laughs) yeah no for sure especially i mean especially after snow white who's famous for her high-pitched kind of nasally voice and even now um her current voice actor jennifer hale she's done in like a lot of things like video games tv shows and all that she has a deeper voice too it's like i mean i i'm someone who plays a lot of video games so like she i've heard her voice all the time but like it's more of a naturally deeper voice she definitely pitches her voice up for cinderella but even nowadays like cinderella's voice is pretty deep compared to a lot of the disney princesses yeah for sure which is, it is kind of funny considering she kind of is like the archetypical Disney princess. Like she's like front and center. And like, she is really what you think of when you think of Disney princess with her like white gown and blonde hair. She's like the image of a Disney princess. Yeah, totally. Also in the voice cast is Eleanor Audley as Lady Tremaine, aka the Wicked Stepmother, who was also the live action reference for the character as well. And I mean... It's a great villainous performance. She also is the voice of Maleficent in Sleeping Beauty and was also the reference for her. She's great at being a villain. She's so good mm-hmm. at being like passive aggressive and manipulative. That makes so much sense too. Cause they like, I feel like in some movies they are like similar. Obviously they have the same actor voice mm-hmm. characters, but like I could not pinpoint her voice, but I was like, she sounds so familiar. So mm-hmm. it makes total sense that she was also Maleficent. Yeah. And even nowadays, they also share a similar voice actor. I feel like they're very similar, even though one's a witch, but and the one's <laughs> just a human. But I feel like they are yeah. very similar villains in terms of like their attitude and how they totally. interact with the protagonists. Yeah, for sure. Finally, other voice actors include Verna Felton as the fairy godmother and William Phipps as Prince Charming. Cinderella was released on February 15th, 1950. A perfect release date for it right after Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day. And immediately right out of the gate was a critical success, earning the best reviews for a Disney film since Dumbo almost a decade prior. And some people even called it its best production at the time. It also became the studio's biggest commercial success since Snow White, essentially reversing the studio's fortunes. Dumbo was a box office success, but that was also a film that was intentionally made cheap. So it's definitely not the same in terms of box office profit and revenue. And it actually ended up becoming the fifth highest grossing film of 1950. So Snow White at one point was like the highest grossing film of all time. So not quite that level, but definitely a major hit for the studio. And all in all, its domestic lifetime gross is about $93 million, while its worldwide gross is about $263 million. And the film's budget was only about like $2.9 million. So major, major hit for the studio. It did receive three Oscar nominations, Best Sound, Best Score, and Best Song for Bippity Boppity Boo. It did lose all three, but as they say, it's an honor to be nominated. Put them together and what have you got? 
it'll do magic, believe it or not. Bibbidi bobbidi boo. Now salagadoola means a menjikaboolaroo. Now that we've gone into the history, time to talk about our thoughts on the films itself. And, you know, I really want to talk about Cinderella as a character because I feel like she, I mean, the Disney princess brand as a whole kind of gets a lot of criticism, but I feel like Cinderella is Mm -hmm. really like gets the brunt of that criticism with people saying, oh, she does nothing for the film. She just waits for her prince to come and she just gets swept off her feet and like she's not a good role model. And I watching this film, she really is a strong character. No, she's not like an action hero like Mulan or Moana is, but right. I mean, she's putting up with like, a, let's call it what it is, abuse from yeah. her family day in and day out. And like, it doesn't break her. Like she just continues going on. Like I, there is a lot of strength to her, just not just in like a physical way, but definitely a mental way that the amount of strength it takes to put up with what she deals with in a given day. Like, I feel like she really is a good character. And it's not like she's just passive and just lets things happen. Like she talks back to people, maybe not like to her yeah. stepmother, but she is very quippy and gets angry pretty easily. And I feel like a lot of thoughts people have on the character are kind of misconceptions in some ways that like kind of doesn't really ring true to the character in the film. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, I think you you hear Cinderella and it's like she's waiting around for her prince like oh she fell in love after meeting for like what was it like an hour maybe that she was at the ball like she's waiting for a man to sweep her off her feet so yeah I think that's like what they see but also like she's kind and she's caring and she's hardworking and like she does put everyone else before herself Mm -hmm. like she puts the mice before herself yeah like she makes them cute little outfits and like make sure they're taken care of and obviously the family and It's just, I don't know if people like read into that as much as they do. Like I'm going to ball and I'm going to marry a prince that I just met. Like, I think there is more to her as a character that people don't really see. And actually, yeah, that's really reminded me because I think something that people sometimes forget and I actually tend to forget is that she doesn't know it's the prince when she meets him. Like she doesn't realize it's the prince. So like the next day and then she's like, oh my God, the man that I danced with is the prince. Like. She, it's just a guy that she meets at the ball and just has a really strong connection to. Yeah, like I feel like her intention to go to the ball was not to, I'm going to meet the prince and get married. Like she just wanted to get out of her house that mm-hmm. she's been in for forever. Like she just wanted to experience a ball and what it's like to, you know, be a part of society that she's been like kept away from. So yeah, yeah and I just watching that too, she's like, I was literally just watching that. She was like, I have to go meet the prince. And he's like, wait, you don't know that I'm the prince? Yeah. And she's like, no, I got to go. Bye. Like, sorry. She's going to the ball, like knowing well aware that it's only for this night. She knows that like once the ball's over, it's her life is going to go immediately back to the hell that it is. This is just a temporary escape for her to have like one moment of happiness. And yeah. like, yeah, she just happens to catch this guy's eye. And literally, she forgets what time it is that her spell's about to break. Like she literally forgets about all of her troubles just for one night. Her dream isn't to marry and find love. I mean, I'm sure it's part of it, but it's her totally. her dream is to literally escape her abusive household. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I do think that there's a lot more to her character than what people may see or think. Kind of going off that whole like 
abusive family thing. I really feel like Lady Tremaine is a great villain, but I also feel like she's one of the more underrated Disney villains, probably because she's not as flashy as like a Maleficent or an Ursula or Jafar. Like she very much, I mean, one, she's just, she's just a human, but she's so like manipulative and scheming and just cruel Mm -hmm. to Cinderella, like intentionally cruel to her. And I feel like she is such a good villain because she contrasts so well with Cinderella, who really is just this innocent character who's just like you said she just she puts others before her and and tries to see the best in people but because of that she's taken advantage of all the time and I feel like she really is one of the best Disney villains out there yeah and like one thing that I wrote down too is like she's just mean like she doesn't you know like all the other villains like they're they want magic or they want the power or they want some sort of object to like claim for their own and I feel like in Lady Tremaine like she has all of that. She has the house, right? She has like her wealth. She's just a mean person. And I think mm-hmm. you don't see that as much in Disney villains as movies progress. I mean, you do, but mm-hmm. I think in what I, as an adult, am realizing is like a lot of them are after a power or yes. object or something. And I think Lady Tremaine just, whether it be from like maybe trauma she had experienced that we don't know about, like what, how she shaped who she was as a person, but she's just mean like genuinely a mean human. <laughs> yeah. And like going back to live action remake, they kind of give context for why, but even then it's just like, I kind of prefer, I mean, I know nowadays we all like our complex villains with like yeah. tragic backstories, but sometimes it's just fun to just have a villain who's just mean. Like that's why I think people love Maleficent so much is that she's just evil. She didn't get invited to a party. So she's like, fine, I'll curse this princess. I'm going to curse you. Take that. Yeah. Yeah. And with the evil queen, it's just like, oh, this girl is prettier than me. I'm going to have to kill her. Yeah. And I guess, yeah, you're right. I guess you do kind of see that more of that backstory as you're like going to touch on later in the mm-hmm. live action film of kind of why she's so cruel. But I feel like for this, not having any context of her relationships before, it's just, yeah, she's just mean. <laughs> the intro narration kind of gets into it, but we don't even know what kind of relationship she had with the father. I know it kind of says like her true nature was revealed or something like that, but yeah, we don't know what her relationship with her father was like. We don't know what her relationship with Cinderella was like while they were married before the dad died. And I mean, even with her daughters, like she's mean to them and yeah, they're just as mean to Cinderella as she is, but she's also mean to her while her stepdaughters would never like they're, they're kind of afraid of her. And I feel like that's something really like, I mean, I actually kind of realized like, yeah, it's like, these people are all afraid of her and that she she really has no power or anything. She's just that intimidating. Yeah. Which I think says something a lot too, you know, cause like at Disney, you don't see her. I mean, you rarely see her, but Mm. like one of the most iconic parades, like the Halloween parade, like she's very present as a villain. So obviously her impact is strong for her to be included in, you know, certain Mm. things at Disney. So I think that does like say a lot about her as a villain too. Also going off that for the Halloween in Magic Kingdom, when that was still a thing, yeah. um, they had the Hocus Pocus <laughs> Castle show where they like invite all the Disney villains and she's she's there. They're partying up with Maleficent and Jafar. I mean, they also have Cruella Deville, who I guess is kind of a human too, but she's True. much yeah. more of an over the top character. Yeah, than... she's extra. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm not going to talk about the movie. I'm, I'm going to try to restrain myself talking about the movie at the end. But in Cinderella <laughs> 3, she is much more of like a villain, capital V villain, 
but I kind of like how in this one she's just she's just petty really yeah. it's at the end of the day she's petty and manipulative yeah and I like agree. so effective I mean again that vocal performance really sells it too yes yeah and like the beady eyes like the first mm-hmm. I feel like the first introduction we get of her is like it's kind of scary looking on it now like in sitting yeah. in her bed and all you see is like her yellow eyes and mm-hmm. so like that's a true sign of like evil yeah and she never like loses like her her poise Mm-mm. yeah like sometimes you see the disney villains like unravel like i mean obviously like i said with troll deville and then with the evil queen she becomes the old hag but she never like yes. loses her her sophistication yeah, she's always just dignified she's just very put together she's a put together villain <laughs> yes I as on that might be controversial for watching this, but I realized this one. I do not like the mice in this movie or you the cats. Why? I don't know. Every time I'm watching it, I'm just like, come on, we're just distracting ourselves from the the main event. I'm invested in Cinderella <laughs> and her struggles. Sorry. I know I'm invested in the princess. I don't want to see these mice and cat like <laughs> chasing. I don't know. Maybe maybe like once or twice, yeah. but like I would obviously keep the sequence where they get the key because that's very narrative important you know maybe we don't need to have the section of them running to get the food avoiding lucifer (laughs) to get the food because obviously i like when they're making the dress for her too but i don't know for some reason watching this movie i just felt like the mice kind of distracted from the plot and i get why they put it in there because they needed to pad out the film because this movie's just barely over an hour yeah but i I could see that i mean i could see it i think they're cute they're just so little you know they are and I feel like although maybe too like they really are kind of her only friends Mm -hmm. if you think about it in like that context like she doesn't have humans as friends (laughs) so like exactly you could argue the fact that they are like her friends you know she dresses them up and makes sure they're taken care of and who else is she going to talk to other than I mean she doesn't even talk to her family so yeah no I I mean I can understand like the little you know some of it's like mm, is it necessary but also for someone it's like oh they're cute and I just I love little Gus Gus he's just a little nugget but I can understand like I mean Lucifer kind of annoys me like why do we <laughs> I can I get it like yeah maybe not an- annoy is not the right word but he's I kind mean, of just snotty he kind of is irritating maybe just he's petty too he takes after his owner yeah I definitely got annoyed by Lucifer too when he was like Obviously, I know I know I literally was just like praising Lady Tremaine for all the same stuff, but he just like just makes Cinderella's life miserable and is happy about yeah. it. Maybe because he's more yeah. over about it, like when he like dusts up the floor yes. and all that. And I don't yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm just jaded and I don't like cute animals. Cute <laughs> animals. No. I feel like part of it too is like he knows he's gonna get away with it because Lady Tremaine is his human. So mm. And the mice would be caught or captured. So he kind of gets to play on that a little bit. But I can see how they could be a little... Yeah, like some parts could have been taken out. But again, if they needed the padding, it's kind of a cute little section, I guess. And also, I you reminded me, like that deck, I think actually nails it on the head for the Lucifer thing. Because one of my like least favorite tropes of character is the character who deliberately causes trouble and never gets caught for it or like either doesn't get caught or doesn't get in trouble for it and I hate that kind of character so much so and that's exactly Mm -hmm. the type of Mm -hmm. character Lucifer is so I think totally we may have just cracked the code on that for me (laughs) yes and I do not have much to say on it but I really just wanted to highlight the transformation sequence like one of 
I mean, iconic. one of the most iconic Disney sequences ever. I mean, I don't know if it's like actually been proven, but like it says all the time that it was Walt Disney's like personal favorite scene in a movie. And it's just so good. And it's something that's like actually like really complex. And like, yeah. you like you see it all the time when it comes to like, even just like both in Cinderella montages and in like Disney montages where like we get the things of like good things happening to characters. You always see like her ragged pink dress just turning into her ball gown her hair just like her hair just going up by itself I feel like the fact that it's also preceded by the whole bippity boppity boo musical sequence really just gives it a sense of catharsis at the end too yeah and I think too in a way it kind of going back you know we've already talked about her character but it does kind of highlight her character in a way of like we see her like inner beauty too Mm -hmm. and so maybe it's like a reflection you know obviously she felt beautiful like you know she's like what a beautiful dress and glass slippers Mm -hmm. oh my gosh like it kind of just really puts the whole package together of her feeling beautiful for the first time too even though we can kind of see that she's beautiful for who she is now Mm -hmm. other people can see that at the ball too I guess if that made any sense at all (laughs) no yeah and honestly in some ways I feel like that's her in the dress is kind of is kind of like the real reward as opposed to her like yeah. going to the ball which obviously is a like we said is an escape for her but it's the first time she's allowed to just be happy that she's in like because yeah. I've obviously her family puts her in like rags and yeah it's the first time in a long time that someone's just like doing something for her and it's the yeah. first time she like gets to feel like this happy and feel this happy about herself yeah I feel like we definitely see like the true Cinderella after that mm-hmm. transformation too and, and obviously then, appreciate the magic that comes with it but yeah And then even then, like, she also, like, makes sure to thank the fairy godmother for doing it, just showing that, like, she's still a kind person at her heart. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's iconic. One last thing I I want to touch on, I mean, feel free to interject Mm -hmm. with anything you'd like, but, like, is I feel like its soundtrack is kind of underrated in a way. I mean, obviously you hear like bippity boppity boo a time and like a dream is a wish your heart makes, but I really liked all the songs in this movie. I think so. This is love is I just like find myself humming it sometimes. And yes, I was just going to say, I like, it's one of the soundtracks from the movies that I am constantly like, when I'm not even thinking about, we'll just like mm-hmm. hum, whether it yeah. be like, so this is love or like sometimes I'll hum like when they're making the dress, like it is just, it's one that sticks with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and sing Sweet Nightingale, Oh Sweet Nightingale, I always forget the name of it. Like, I feel like that's mm-hmm. like, that's a song you never think of, but, yeah. and I know it's a very simple song. It's like, there's not much to its lyrics, but yeah. I feel like, I mean, especially with the production, like we were talking about and just the way she sings it, and actually one of my favorite sequences from the movie, probably because it is kind of a break from the reality of the film itself, but it is one of my favorite. I mean, you do see her with the bubble like pretty frequently, but mm-hmm. I feel like outside of that, you don't really get much for that part of the film. Yeah, yeah. One thing that I wrote down was the animation, like the color scheme, just mm-hmm. like being, it felt like a painting. Yes. So like, it's just, it's gorgeous. And I think that's one thing too that I didn't really notice as a child, but like now as an adult kind of in kind of the arts industry in a way of theater and just kind of recognizing art in its own entity, like mm-hmm. real the animation is gorgeous. Like the artistry and the imagery, um, especially when they are doing like, so this is love and they mm-hmm. transfer like through the water and over the bridge. Like I was just like, wow, it's just a really beautiful image in, in movie as a whole with everything. Yeah. Like it felt like I was like looking at a painting and then there was like the little animation of people. 
throughout yes. the whole thing. I don't know. Yeah. Does that make sense? No, I definitely think it makes sense. Like in most certain sequences, it's very like dominated by like pastels and yeah. that. And like, yeah. I love pastels. Like they're probably my favorite like color mm-hmm. scheme. It's also a very blue heavy movie too. Like yes. this movie is dominated by the color blue. I feel like blue is a good background color because so much could contrast against it. Yeah. And yeah, it really does kind of look, have you seen like concept art for this movie? Like the, like the Mary Blair concept art? It's so- I feel like maybe I have, but not recently. It's so good. Hold on. Let me like, see if I can, I'm going to try sharing my screen. I've never done this yeah. before. Okay. So there's like this stuff. Okay. Yes. I have seen a little bit of this. Yeah. And like, yeah. it's so, I mean, obviously the movie doesn't really look anything like this at the end of the day, but yeah. it really it does is. like translate itself to such a unique aesthetic. Yeah. And okay. I feel like it is so different than other films, like other mm-hmm. princess films. Oh, for sure. Just the entire scheme and imagery of it all, for sure. And the next film we got in the princess canon was Sleeping Beauty, which is very much dominated by sharp, angular shapes and very sweeping scenes. And actually, that's another thing I kind of know. So it's a very small, intimate movie, too. Like, you don't really get yeah. a lot of, like wide sweeping angle. I mean obviously not gonna be a lot of sweeping angles for the time yeah. but it's, it's very much small and focused which I think is like kind of exudes a comfort even if it's maybe not like a comfort movie for you yeah. per se it really has like a comforting tone with it yeah I agree it's just an inherently optimistic movie maybe that's why yeah I love just like the look and feel of this movie it's very soft mm-hmm. yeah and it's I think like very classic it's yeah film. yeah Simple. definitely classic yeah and honestly I feel like that's the best way to describe it is simple and that's and that's sometimes used as like a negative way but definitely in this terms it is a compliment it's a very simple movie and I mean it has a lot of complicated technical things behind it sometimes but overall it's a very simple movie in tone in scope and in just feel yeah I agree 100 percent so this is love all right so now that we have discussed our thoughts on the film itself time to talk about its impact and like i said at the top of the show it is one of disney's most iconic and popular films even to this day but in the more immediate term the film's massive financial success basically allowed disney to continue to make films throughout the 1950s unfortunately it kind of crashed and burned when disney made sleeping beauty but that is another story the film's profits also allowed disney to kind of expand to other ventures like television production with his disneyland tv show and even gave disney the funding necessary to start construction of disneyland Thank you, Cindy. I know it's a shame that <laughs> she didn't get her castle in there, she but obviously there. she did get she one did. though. So it's okay. Yeah, let's, as we'll talk about in just a bit, she did get her own castle. Even to this day, Cinderella herself is one of Disney's most popular characters, and she kind of is like 
the de facto lead of the overall Disney princess brand. Like she's always front and center and she's always in the group shots. Like sometimes like it's not every princess in the group, but she's basically always there. And like we said, she kind of is the blueprint for the Disney princess when you think of it. And though she doesn't have a dedicated theme park attraction to her besides like the carousels, which is really not that related to Cinderella at all. (laughs) Cinderella Castle is the icon of the Magic Kingdom and Tokyo Disney Park. And that basically is one of like the most iconic and recognizable architectural structures around the world. I mean, even if you've never been to Disney World in Florida, you probably know the look of Cinderella Castle. And it's kind of like an icon of the company as a whole. Yeah. And I think it's funny too, because like, I feel like if you don't know Disney, like we do, obviously, like just Mm -hmm. being huge fans and like working there, like I think most people assume that every castle is Cinderella's castle. Yeah. And you like, I find myself like correcting people. I'm like, no, there are many different castles. I was like, Disneyland's is not Cinderella. Cinderella no. gets her big one in Magic Kingdom. So yeah. it's just kind of funny how that, how, where that worked out. But even though, yeah, I feel even though Sleeping Beauty Castle was the first one, I feel like, I mean, except Hong Kong Disneyland, which literally copied Disneyland's castle. I feel like <laughs> castles after Magic Kingdom kind of that were unique castles because again, Tokyo Disney copied as well. But like castles kind of did follow the blueprint of Cinderella Castle, even though not all of them are Cinderella are Castle. Cinderella. Yeah. They kind of followed the blueprint and like the scheme and look of Cinderella Castle. Yeah. This is the first time I've talked about a film that achieved this feat, but it was selected by the National Film Registry to be preserved in 2018. And they, they basically save that for films that are like extremely important to culture and pop culture and the film industry so Cinderella will be preserved forever we won't have to worry about losing it and like a large number of Disney films in the 90s and 2000s it received two direct-to-video sequels Cinderella 2 Dreams Come True in 2002 and Cinderella 3 A Twist in Time in 2007 and I'm not going to make this a podcast about Cinderella 3 (laughs) but that movie is amazing it's the only direct-to-video sequel I actually recognize but it can be its own podcast but that movie is really something else okay just really fast is that the one where like Drizella no yeah Drizella gets like a love story is it like Anastasia Anastasia okay sorry yeah but it is that one there's like a couple different stories within the one right that's Cinderella 2 oh my gosh Cinderella 3 is the one where Lady Tremaine finds the evil queen's wand and basically just what goes back in time and changes the whole story okay I don't know if I've seen that one I need Uh, to go back is it on Disney plus yes it probably is on Disney plus I'm gonna need to go and watch it because I do remember seeing that Cinderella 2 but I don't think I've ever watched Cinderella 3 so you know Cinderella 3 is wild on my list the ambition like yeah like basically the evil stepmother just makes it so Anastasia like she uses the fairy godmother's wand to make the shoe fit on Anastasia so she marries the queen and then Cinderella's like wait what I'm the one who did that so it just it's so wild and crazy and just basically turns Cinderella into kind of like an action hero ironically Well, there you go. For people who ever question her merit, she is an action hero in Cinderella 3. <laughs> yeah, and I'm, it actually might have been, I think it was the last direct-to-video sequel that Disney has made. Um, but yeah, it's just wild because I'm like the ambition like behind this project. That's so funny. I need to watch it. Put it on my list. Yes, and then like many a Disney animated film, I mean, actually it was kind of the first, but it's now become like a cliche. It did yeah. receive a live action remake in 2015, though the Cinderella one is interesting because it's much more of a loose, like reimagining interpretation than other live action remakes, which tend to nowadays very 
stick heavily to the formula of the original but this one yeah it definitely does a lot of changes and it's probably my favorite of the live action remakes because of it me too me too i love it like we said it does give more context to characters like the evil stepmother the prince and all that and yeah. i mean it's never going to be as iconic as the animated one but yeah. i feel like too you get a little bit more from cinderella as well kind of yeah. everyone really oh yeah um, I was a little sad that there wasn't as much like music to it, but mm-hmm. I still love it. I mean, I, I I think the fairy godmother sequence is a lot of fun in that movie. Yeah. To be honest, I was like a little skeptical when you hear like Helena Bohm Carter was going to be the fairy godmother just because like all of her previous mm-hmm. movies, you know? So I was like, oh, this will be interesting. And maybe skeptical wasn't the right word, but it was actually really fun. Like it was fun to see her in such a different type of character. Yes. Um, I think which really showed like her versatility as an actress. Uh-huh. it was that whole sequence i remember before it came out you know how like rest in peace bugs land um but when they had like a little ant theater and you could like do sneak peeks of movies did you ever do that i did not go to disneyland when bugs end was <gasps> open but i know about the concept no! well they did oh, they did gosh. a similar thing in disney world and like they, they had a theater in hollywood studios that like yeah. did like the walt disney like story the they did yeah, they did stuff like that there. I, so I know the I rem- concept. Okay, so I remember going before it had opened. And I feel like this is one of like the first previews we ever did there. And it was it was that scene. It was the pumpkin, like the whole transformation sequence. Mm-hmm. Obviously not the dress because that was for the movie. But yes. um, it was really fun. They did like the seats moved. I don't know. Did this in Disney World, did like the seats move? Like I don't think so. Because it wasn't stuff. made. It wasn't the like theater- for that. Yeah, it was made for just like a documentary feature on Walt Disney. Yeah, um, but it was fun. I remember that being kind of a cool experience. They had like water spray out at us and like the seats. Oh, wow. It was like made for like, it was like a Bugs Life 3D. Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, no, I've, I've, I've seen the show. I've seen terrifying. the show. It was terrifying. But yeah. it was cool how they were like able to convert that for a sneak peek. So I just remember that being kind of like my first introduction to the live action remake. And I was like, oh, this might be good. Mm-hmm. Like put it on my calendar and yeah that's the best i remember in hollywood studios they in an area of the park that i don't know if exists anymore it might i genuinely don't know what what that park is like nowadays but they actually had like the carriage from i mean i don't think they were a real carriage but they had like the carriage from the movie as like a photo op you could take a picture at <gasps> i would love that i feel like too i saw Oh, it's Dancing with the Stars. I love Dancing with the Stars. And whenever they do their Disney nights, it's like the best night. But they brought in <laughs> the character, the car- the gold carriage from okay. the film. And they got oh, to wow. like leave that and then like do their big dance. So, Oh, that's fun. A lot, of, a lot of mementos. Yeah. But I yeah. that'd be so cool. Yeah. I like, I mean, yeah, I don't want to turn this into a Cinderella 2015 podcast. Because again, <laughs> I wanted, we're going to do every single movie in the Disney that Vault. Be another so, one. you know, that's going to be its own episode. But I really do enjoy it. And I, I do wish more live action remakes followed that template of like kind of taking the bones of this animated film, but yeah. also using it as a way to like do something new. And like, I feel like this movie is my punching bag in this podcast. I don't mean it to be, <laughs> but it somehow has become. But that's kind of like the live action Mulan. Like I like it in theory, like taking yeah. the original movie and doing something new with it. But that yeah. movie's bad. And this is like the <laughs> third or fourth time I mentioned it on this podcast. And I'm sorry, <laughs> but I really like when they do that, but obviously the ones that are like very successful are the ones that literally just make the same movie. Yeah. So yeah. I actually wanted to look at something real quick. Okay. Yeah. I was wondering if they were making a sequel to the live action Cinderella, which they are not. 
there's literally a whole impact section on the Wikipedia page that just lists every Disney live action remake. <laughs> so that is all for this week. Now, before we go, is there anything you'd like to add, plug anything before you go? I don't think so. I think we covered it all. Just thought uh, Cinderella is the best and always will be. Yes. <laughs> I, she really is honestly yeah, one of my favorite really princesses. She'll like, always be my favorite. I know. Not to say a- that I don't appreciate or like other Disney princesses, but she is just my favorite. <laughs> no, everyone has their favorite Disney princess. Yeah. So you can follow this show at Disney Vault Cast. We are on literally all social medias just at Disney Vault Cast. If you want to follow me, I'm at Aiden Simons, where I promote this show a lot. Give us five-star rating on iTunes because it would make me very happy. And me being happy makes for a better show, I feel like. And I will see you all next week where we go back into the Disney Vault. Bye. Bye.